BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Biden slipped up and finally called the situation at the border a crisis. So will he finally do something about it now that it is a crisis? We'll ask Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. And Minneapolis is on pins and needles today as the closing arguments are being delivered in the Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. Will the police officer be convicted? Will the city burn at the hands of the mob? We have boots on the ground in Minneapolis and we have our legal experts ready to break down the closing arguments today. And there is one state that now forces toddlers to wear masks in another state that is paying people to move there. We will tell you about both of those states today. All of that and more on Dr. Gina Primetime. This is Dr. Gina Primetime, and today we watched the closing arguments in the trial of Officer Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. We have all seen the video that shows the officer kneeling on Floyd for over nine minutes. The prosecution said to the jury today that they should ignore everything they've seen in the week's long trial and stick with what they thought when they saw the video for the very first time. Listen. And you can believe your own eyes. This case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video. It is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. It's exactly what you believed. It's exactly what you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. And we all watched that video the first time in horror that a police officer would smother a man to death in the streets in front of passers-by. But we learned a lot during this trial about the crimes committed by George Floyd, the drugs in his possession, the drugs in his system, the events leading up to the arrest that none of us saw, the struggle with police until Floyd was finally wrestled to the ground, the odd, odd behavior he exhibited, but now that all of that evidence has been presented, the prosecution wants the jury and everyone in the public to forget what they have learned. They want everyone to hold on to that mob mentality. Don't carefully consider the evidence, they said. Don't give the accused due process. Just convict. Just a few miles away from the site of the George Floyd incident, Officer Kim Potter shot and killed Dante Wright during a traffic stop. And when watching that video, you see Dante Wright, a wanted criminal, fighting the police and trying to escape in a vehicle, and shot, sadly, by Officer Kim Potter, who never meant to do anything but arrest the suspect and protect her life and the lives of her fellow officers, of course. You can see in that video that she immediately realized that she had accidentally shot Dante Wright, and that video clears her of any wrongdoing. Kim Potter never should have been arrested, let alone charged. But the mob tells us to ignore what that video shows. They say 
the inherent racism of white police officers is to blame and that Kim Potter is a racist murderer who must be condemned. The left wants mob rule. They want everyone to ignore what they see and to believe the narrative that they are told by the biased mainstream media and the wealthy mob leaders who are making millions, don't forget, by, stroke, by stoking race wars in America. And if you dare to disagree with the mob, if you stand in their way, they will come for you. A severed pig's head was left outside the home of one of the defense witnesses who said George Floyd's death was accidental. The cancel culture is seeping into every part of our lives. The mob doesn't just want to take away sports like the MLB All-Star Game from Atlanta or your kids' cartoons that they say are racist. They want to take away due process. And we will see very soon if their next step will be successful. The mob wants police officers to be found guilty by the mob and to be denied their due process under the law. And until now, you may be surprised to know that no police officers in high-profile cases like the Chauvin trial have been found guilty of a killing, uh, of killing a suspect during arrest. But if they succeed in convicting Chauvin, then the next step is to accuse you of being guilty until proven innocent. You and I will be denied due process in the future, and you and I will be the next target of the mob, to be sure. And that is why the cancel culture and the mob must be faced now and not be allowed to bully us any longer. That's why we must stand. And coming up, we have boots on the ground in Minneapolis watching the situation there, and we have legal experts lined up and ready to break down the closing arguments. But first, coming up next, Joe Biden finally called the border a crisis, and it is a crisis. We've told you that for weeks, but finally he called it that. Was it just a big slip up? And two states are handling COVID very differently right now. One state driving people away and another paying people to come. We're going to tell you about it coming up on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. All right, now it's time for a border crisis update. Our own Ben Burkwam is down on the border monitoring the crisis there that Joe Biden finally admitted was a crisis. Ben, tell us what you see down there. Hey, Dr. Gina, we're down here. I'm actually back in Yuma. I've been traveling across the border. I uh, started in Nogales and then went up to a little place called Naco. I want to talk about that real quick. I uh, have some footage of that. Went over there, spoke to Border Patrol, looked up at this house, four-story house, uh, and I'm like, wait, is that a narco house right there? Is that a cartel house? Went back, spoke to Border Patrol. They said, yep, they actually built this house taller as they built the wall taller. These guys sit in this house. They watch Border Patrol as they do their shift change. Uh, then they send their guys across, climb the wall into America. This is just one location, many locations like it all over the country. We're back here in Yuma uh, to check and see what's going on here. Spoke to Border Patrol that's just behind me. Have two groups that I saw apprehended uh, while I was here. 
Uh, and I asked them, how's it going? Same thing. It just continues to get worse. I've got Sheriff Wilmot, mm -hmm. great American Sheriff Wilmot with me mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Sheriff, talk to us about what's happening here on the ground that you're seeing. Well, some of the concerns are coming to fruition that uh, we were trying to educate this administration on is, you know, when they continue to allow what's happening to happen, it's only going to get worse, and it has. We went from 200 to 300 a day. Now they're up to 400 at least, if not more, per day down here that Border Patrol has in custody not to mention the increase in juvenile population, which most of those end up getting transported to a location in Texas, is our understanding. But our biggest concern, and it's happening now, is I've already had four deaths out in the eastern part of my county, which is remote desert, along the Barium Goldwater bombing range. So we just picked up on the fourth, a 24-year-old female who had actually walked with a group all the way from Sonoida, and that's roughly 290 miles. You were down in that area. So they traversed that whole desert wow. and she ended up dying in our desert up here. And Saturday we had a 50 year old ma male that we ended up going out to and pick up this last weekend. Wow. So the deaths in the desert typically for us in Yuma County, maybe 12 a year. We're already at four. And it, we're only this far into the year. so. We're starting to see an increase in that. The other problem that they're having is, is the increase in narcotics being smuggled across our eastern desert in Yuma County. So, and you know what I'm talking about, the fentanyl, the meth, the heroin, the cocaine. No longer is it marijuana. And the hard narcotics are coming across as well as the fact that Border Patrol estimates that they're getting at the minimum of a thousand getaways a day along the southwestern border. Back to you, Dr. Gina. Ben, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, finally, Joe Biden admitted this weekend that the situation at the border is an actual crisis. Everybody except him, I guess, already knew this, but finally he admitted it. Here is the video of Joe Biden calling it a crisis, although it's hard to make out what he's saying as he is mumbling and murmuring under his mask. But let's watch it and see if we can understand what he's saying here. We were going to increase the number. We had to. The problem was that the refugee car was working on crisis ended up on the border with young people. We couldn't do two things at once now. And now we're going to increase the so was that just a slip up? Did he mean to call it a crisis? Let's ask Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Great to see you, Attorney General. Thanks for being with us again. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, you must be so glad to know that Joe Biden has finally admitted that the border situation is an actual crisis. Well, the reality is you have to admit you have a problem before you can start solving. So at least he's admitted that there is a problem. Uh, it's taken him quite a while to get there. I think the rest of the nation knew it a long time ago, probably within the first couple of weeks of the administration. We certainly knew it in Texas very soon after he opened up the border and said, come on in. So, yeah, I'm glad he's admitted there is a problem because now maybe we can start solving it and maybe he's going to be more willing to do something about it that will actually fix the problem instead of making it worse. You filed a lawsuit last week to restore the Remain in Mexico policy, which was a common sense policy that Biden saw some need to reverse. What is the status of that? So that was a policy that President Trump 
didn't initiate immediately, but he figured out a way to solve a problem that seemed unsolvable, which was that these people that were coming in were claiming asylum, and they were being coached by attorneys from the United States to say that. The reality was only about 14% of them ended up qualifying for asylum. So they would come in, stay for years sometimes. Some of them, most of them wouldn't show up for their hearings. And so it was a disaster for us. And so Trump said, you got to stay in Mexico. We sued because we don't think Biden undid it the correct way. And certainly we think the policy was a tremendous success. And undoing the policy has devastating consequences to my state and the rest of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Now over on CNN, Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, he made an appearance yesterday and he said that Biden's administration inherited an absolutely shattered system to process refugees. Listen. What will drive our determination are the practical questions of whether we can fix the absolutely shattered system that we were left with to process refugees. And then, of course, right. how we ensure that the same office, the Office of Refugee Responsibility that takes care of those coming in as refugees, also takes care of unaccompanied minors at the border, how it can do both. Attorney General, they're just going to continue to blame this border crisis on Trump and on that administration and take no responsibility for what was really an invitation at the border, correct? True. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear that the Trump administration got control of the border in a way that very few presidents have. And the numbers speak for themselves. We know it from being on the border. We cover almost two thirds of the border in Texas. So we know that his policies began to take hold and started to work. Those policies we're building the wall. Those policies were allowing border agents and customs and immigration to do their job. Those policies included this migrant protocol, the protection protocol program that made people stay in, in Mexico. And then Biden came in and undid them all and said, hey, come on in. So we know that we're back to where we were under Obama, which is a much worse position. So they can say that Trump shattered policies, but they actually did work. And now they're not working under Biden. I want to ask you about um, shifting gears a little bit about the trial that we're all watching go down um, over this uh, last week and then into the weekend. Some very inflammatory comments were made by Maxine Waters. I know you've been watching this as well. Um, Maxine Waters asked for a police escort, Attorney General, um, as she also encouraged the protesters to get more confrontational. And at this point, a judge has uh, said that they could possibly overturn the trial. New York Post has said that she is trying to create a civil war and has called for her impeachment. Pelosi, meanwhile, has defended Maxine Waters, saying that um, Nancy Pelosi does not think that Maxine Waters should apologize or be impeached. I just wanted to get your thoughts on all of this going down, because I think this is becoming a, sort of a monumental story that is a side note of, of the whole trial that we're all watching unfold before our eyes. Yeah, I mean, Representative Waters is certainly being irresponsible with what she's saying, and it certainly isn't helping the situation when she's incurring, encouraging rioters to be more aggressive. And at the same time, asking for her own protection, sort of a double standard, because most people don't have that ability to have uh, protection. And so I, I hope that she'll stop saying that and, and, and just let the trial go forward instead of inciting people to greater violence. Absolutely. Attorney General Ken Paxton, it's always such a pleasure to have you on with us. Thank you for being here and all our best to Angela and uh, your whole staff. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. All right. You too.
All right, Democrats have a really great plan on how to fix all of America's problems, they say. All they have to do is let Joe Biden appoint four more justices to the Supreme Court. Then all of our problems are going to just mysteriously float away. Congressman Mo Brooks from the great state of Alabama joins me now. Congressman, great to see you. My pleasure. Thank you. Congressman, I think you, uh, your Democrat colleagues, have a hard time remembering perhaps the last four years. The courts were constantly stopping any progress of the Trump agenda, throwing up roadblock after roadblock. Then when President Trump asked the Supreme Court to step in and fix the illegal action of the states as they changed election law by executive fiat, the Supreme Court said no and would not even hear the case. So, Congressman, I don't know what the Democrats are so upset about when it comes to the Supreme Court. Well, on our side of the aisle, those of us who are principled and conservative within Republican ranks, our biggest beef is we get these individuals on the Supreme Court who we think are conservatives, who we think are going to follow the law as passed by elected representatives and senators on Capitol Hill, who we think are going to honor the terms and conditions of the United States Constitution, and then they don't. Then they engage in legal gymnastics, which unfortunately all too often results in bad decisions. So I'm puzzled as to why the socialist Democrats in Washington and elsewhere around the country are dissatisfied with the Supreme Court that they've got in as much as we on the conservative side are very dissatisfied with the direction that they have taken our country with their rulings where they have usurped the United States Constitution. They have usurped the power and authority of the United States Congress. They have usurped the power granted by our United States Constitution to our elected officials. And they love to say that elections have consequences uh, over on the left side of the ball game here. But elections are the reason that the Supreme Court has the numbers that it has. It's elections and then it's appointments. And that's the way our system was set up by our founding fathers. And it was for a reason. Their effort is to completely overturn that entire process. And, and it really is because they've realized that they can't get the votes from the American people. So they've tried to import the votes from foreign countries so that they could convince those people that they need them by putting them on the welfare system and making them dependent on them um, and convincing them that they can't survive in America without them, without the Democrats, uh, so that they will continue to vote for them, even though sometimes it doesn't work that way for them, and they learn and they become patriotic Americans. And so they realize that's not even working so well for them. Uh, and, and so they try to impose this uh, you know, identity politics, and sometimes that isn't even working for them. So then they've tried to say, well, we need to abolish the Electoral College, but that's not going so well with the American public. So now they've decided, well, the best thing they can do is abolish the filibuster and take over the Supreme Court by what is really another fiat here. But the American public is catching on to this, and you've been one on the forefront saying all of this is wrong, where you're not giving power to the people. Talk to me about what you're hearing from your constituency and from the people that you talk to every day about this uh, really uh, handing power over to the elitists in Washington, D.C. The people of the great state of Alabama love our country. They love our United States Constitution and the principles of liberty and freedom that are embodied in that document. They love the idea of 
individual citizens having some sway over the course of our country, our country's destiny, through our republic, i.e. the election process. And so when they see people in the state of Alabama, when we see what's happening in Washington, D.C., it sends chills down our spine. And quite frankly, a lot of my constituents get angry. We had a sorry enough time back in November of 2020 with the problems associated with voter fraud and election theft, exacerbated by the Socialist Democrats doing the things that they did to outright try to steal an election. Uh, that shouldn't happen in the United States of America. You can understand when that happens in a place like Venezuela or a fully socialized nation like North Korea, where you can vote, but the vote doesn't count because the winner is already uh, foreordained by the powers that be. But the people of the state of Alabama, they want Washington to return to the foundational principles that have combined to make us a great nation, the greatest nation in world history. And basically, that's freedom for the American people to do what they think is in their own best interest, which when that's done collectively across the board with every American in the United States, that results in a much stronger economy, which in turn provides the resources necessary to have the world's greatest national defense. So all these things are tied together, but ultimately it comes down to having judges and justices, since we're talking about the Supreme Court, who will actually obey the law, who will follow their oath of office to defend and uphold the United States Constitution. And I yearn for the day when we have five justices, five, a majority, who will actually respect the United States Constitution and look at the original intent behind the words that are in the United States Constitution and rule accordingly, emphasizing, of course, that if the public wants the country to go in a different direction, they have the right to do that, but there's an amendment process in the United States Constitution, and that's the proper procedure and path. It's not stacking the United States Supreme Court where you bring onto the courts activist socialist judges who don't care one twit about the Constitution Rather, they want to, as a supreme legislative body, not elected, somewhat dictatorial because they're in it for life, where they substitute their policy values for those of the elected individuals in our society that our Constitution says is supposed to be in charge of our public policy. Congressman, infrastructure is a big word that is thrown down around a lot in D.C. these days. And Joe Biden said today that he would be open to negotiation on his $2.3 trillion plan. What does he think the negotiation will be? $1.9 trillion instead of $2.3 trillion? I mean, these are all just astronomical numbers that, frankly, the American people don't have much of an appetite for while they're seeing inflation going up and economic indicators saying that this kind of spending just isn't in the budget, frankly, for Americans. Um, what, what are you hearing on this front, and what do you think a negotiation like that would look like? Well, we've got two stark contrasts on Capitol Hill. You've got one group of people who've never seen a dollar in somebody else's pocket that they didn't want to take and spend. And then you've got another group of people that want to be financially responsible. This so-called infrastructure bill is wrong in a variety of different ways. Uh, by way of one example, it would repeal the right to work law across the United States of America, or at least one version of it would. We don't know yet what the final version is going to be because it's still in the process of uh, floating trial balloons to see what the public will stomach and what it won't. But in Alabama, we don't want to be forced to join a union against our will. We don't want to be forced to be subject to the whims of union leadership that we may or may not like, and we certainly don't want to be forced to pay out of our pockets 
union dues that would much rather uh, keep in our own pockets to take care of our families and our own needs. So that's something that's in this infrastructure bill that we don't like. Then you've got the basic problem. All of it's borrowed money. We don't have it. So you've already got the United States of America that is careening towards blowing through the $30 trillion debt mark. And everyone who hears my words, okay, if you're an American citizen, your tab is $90,000. For every man, woman, and child, $90,000. Can you write a check? Well, you're going to have to if our creditors suddenly decide that they no longer want to loan us money. So when we get to this infrastructure bill, we have to be more responsible and look at where's the money going to come from. Just another borrow and spend debt junkie type uh, piece of legislation is not in the long term best interest of the United States of America. Then another problem with it is the word infrastructure. The Socialist Democrats don't use that word as the American people understand it to be. Roughly 10% or less of this so-called infrastructure bill is on transportation needs, which is the heart of infrastructure, at least as that term has been described and understood for decades now. When I'm talking about infrastructure, I'm talking about roads, highways, bridges. I'm talking about waterways, where we have dams, where we have locks so that you can proceed through the dams, where we have ports so that you can uh, offload uh, commerce, commerce off of those ships or put it on those ships to the extent we're exporting it. I'm talking about airports, but that's not what the Socialist Democrats are talking about. They're talking about things that never in humanity has anyone considered as infrastructure, yet they want to divert it from infrastructure to this purpose. So you always have to be very, very cautious with the way in which the Socialist Democrats use words, because quite frankly, they often mean the exact opposite of what the Democrats say, but the Democrats use those words because they figured out that it's easier to market this bad piece of legislation if you've given it a motherhood and apple pie name. <laughs> so true. All right, uh, your colleague in the House, Maxine Waters, encouraged protesters to get more confrontational in protests against the police. And uh, she spends her days being guarded by the National Guard behind a big fence. And she actually requested a police escort to keep her safe as she was making this dangerous statement. Uh, this reminds me so much, though, of the incitement, that word incitement, that the Democrats accused Donald Trump of on January 6th when he made a very clear statement about peacefully, peacefully walking over to the Capitol. There was no such statement from Maxine Waters. I didn't hear the word peaceful come out of her mouth. Shouldn't the accusations against Donald Trump and conservatives in general be dropped completely in light of the inciting statements made by Maxine Waters and frankly, following Nancy Pelosi and the fact that Nancy Pelosi has now said that she doesn't think that Maxine Waters should be impeached. Uh, she doesn't think that Maxine Waters should even apologize for these insightful statements. Um, and in fact, I haven't heard any Democrats come out and say that, at least not yet, that Maxine Waters should even be called down for these insightful statements um, on the eve of this very tense situation decision uh, coming out uh, as we all are waiting for the trial um, that we all know is about to happen. And so um, should, it be, uh, should there be some sort of reconciliation on the word, as you mentioned, incitement, um, as we're watching the statement by Maxine Waters just sort of be swept under the rug 
while Donald Trump and, and conservatives were accused of something awful on January 6th. Can we reconcile this now? Well, the Socialist Democrats, if anything, they're hypocritical. No way to get around that. Uh, by way of example, they accused me of inciting violence when I gave an, a speech January 6th at the Ellipse, a few hours before the attack on the Capitol, and a mile and a half away. And the only thing I asked anybody to do at the United States Capitol was to chant the words USA, 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 so that when they lawfully and peacefully protested, as Donald Trump urged them to do, uh, people would know that these were American patriots. Now, unfortunately, that peaceful protest was hijacked by militant elements of various groups and turned what was supposed to be a good thing, an exercise of your First Amendment rights, into a very violent thing for which the people who engaged in that violence ought to be punished. But if the Democrats are gonna be consistent, then what Maxine Waters has done also ought to be examined. Now, I haven't looked at the entire circumstances of everything that she said and the circumstances in which she said it. But having said that, and looking very closely at her words, I see enough ambiguity where I am having trouble, at least at this point, in finding where in her words she explicitly calls for criminal conduct, where she explicitly calls for riots, where she explicitly calls for arson or looting or things like that. By way of example, when she says, take our cause to the streets or words to that effect, that could be a lawful protest or it could be the kind of riots that we're seeing in Portland, Oregon on a regular basis, okay? One is lawful, it's a First Amendment guaranteed right, freedom of speech and protest. The other, on the other hand, where you're engaging in criminal activity, that should be prosecuted for that criminal activity. So at this point in time, I'm willing to wait and see how this unfolds. But one thing's for sure, if people tonight or tomorrow or the next day engage in riotous conduct that results in damage to property or injury to people, they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And hopefully these Democrat mayors in these Democrat cities will start backing up the men and women in blue who need their support under very challenging circumstances. And those individuals who have engaged in that kind of criminal conduct will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, just as those conservatives or those militant elements on Capitol Hill on January the 6th are being prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. If nothing else, we ought to demand equal protection and equal treatment under the law for everybody. It shouldn't just be so-called conservatives that are getting prosecuted while Black Lives Matter and Antifa walk free for doing essentially yeah. the same conduct, I should add. Yeah, and they're all... Um mounting their private jets to come and incite even more. All right, Congressman, uh, almost out of time. But before we go, I want to ask you about an upcoming event that I saw on the calendar at Mar-a-Lago here in town, President Trump's club. You have announced that you are running for the Senate seat in Alabama that will soon be vacant, and you're holding a fundraiser at Mar-a-Lago. And I've noticed that candidates from other states who support the America First agenda are having events here as well. And that is a great testament to how the MAGA movement and America First is leading the way really into the 2022-2024 elections, don't you think? Absolutely, and I'm very thankful that President Trump has seen fit to endorse Mo Brooks in that Alabama Senate race. That's an open seat uh, right now in significant part because of the message from Donald Trump. Uh, we have a significant lead over the second and third place uh, actual or rumored to be candidates. 
Uh, we'll see how all that plays out. But the president, being a man of his word, is also assisting with a fundraiser that we have at Mar-a-Lago uh, this coming Friday. Uh, very appreciative of all those who are helping to organize that, those who are contributing to it, and of course for President Trump for being willing to be there and share his insight with those people who are very much concerned about the direction and destiny of the United States of America. This is probably the most pivotal election we're going to have in our lifetime. If the Socialist Democrats increase their numbers in the House or the Senate, freedom and liberty may be gone and we may succumb to socialist dictatorial conduct. I don't want us to go there. I'm going to fight in the United States Senate. And by the way, if your audience wants to help, please go to MoBrooks.com, MoBrooks.com. I apologize for throwing that in there, but as a candidate for the United States Senate, a person who will stand up and fight, I'm not going to be one of those wallflowers. I'm not going to be one of those that hides in the foxholes until the gunfire is over with. I'm going to be on the front lines fighting for liberty and freedom and the principles that have combined to make us the greatest nation in world history. And as such, if you're a patriot and you share my values, I ask for your help. Congressman Mo Brooks, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Coming up, we show you the best and the worst parts of the Chauvin trial, and we will tell you what states are driving people away with mask mandates for toddlers and what other state is paying people to move to their state. That's next on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stay where you are. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. The closing arguments were given today in the Derek Chauvin trial. Chauvin, as you know, is on trial for the murder of George Floyd, who died during an arrest where body cam footage showed Chauvin kneeling on the neck of Floyd and the city of Minneapolis is completely on edge over this. Now on the ground in Minneapolis right now is Tracy Anthony. Tracy, what are you seeing there? You know, there's definitely tension in the city. The last couple of days, we have National Guard and security uh, every other block or so. There's over 3,000 National Guard members and then another 1,100 public security personnel that are policing the streets. Um, there was a drive-by shooting to one of these security groups early Sunday morning, so definitely the city is on edge. And this morning, we were down at the courthouse. The streets are relatively quiet right now a few more people starting to get out later on as the day went on but you know everyone's just kind of waiting for the verdict and i think a lot of residents and business owners are just hoping no matter what happens the city can come together and stay peaceful all right thank you so much for that update tracy we appreciate it mm -hmm. the prosecution and the defense gave closing remarks today in the trial and to walk us through is attorney james france from the france law group james Good to see you. As well, thank you. All right, to start off, I wanna show you a piece of video from the prosecution today. And you can believe your own eyes. This case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video, it is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. It's exactly what you believed. It's exactly what you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. 
It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. So the pr prosecution said, you know, don't don't listen to everything that you heard in terms of evidence. Um, don't listen to the things that led up to the nine minutes that have become so famous in this trial. Um, forget everything else. Just focus on that nine minutes and the feelings which have become so predominant really in the way we make decisions as a society today. Um, James, your thoughts. Well, looking at the video, you could look at it both ways. Um, it seemed like the group of people around the police car were getting a bit unruly, and they were trying to tell them to stay back. So the police had their hands full, if you will, with not only uh, Mr. Floyd, but then the crowd that was assembling around and dealing with a potential riotous situation there. So, you know, just to say, make a blanket statement, look at what you see, look at your gut or feel your gut, I think you have to get into a little bit more than that. And it doesn't seem credible when you do it that way. That's just my view. If I was prosecuting the case, I would go into more depth of some of the issues at that point. And the video cap, you know, encompasses quite a bit of what they want you to believe and see and think about the police officer. But there's two sides to every story. And I think you just put your side out there and show the other side and how your side's stronger. But just a, one sentence like that and telling the jury how they should feel, I think that's a little presumptuous to do that either. I wouldn't do that. Over on the defense side, Chauvin's attorney said that the state failed to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Listen. I submit to you that the state has failed to meet its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Chauvin has been charged as the state indicated with these three charges and the judge has instructed you. Count one is second degree murder while committing a felony. It's also called the felony murder rule in Minnesota. Kind of the textbook example is I run into a liquor store, I pull a gun, I'm intending to rob the liquor store. My gun goes off, I shoot and kill the teller. I didn't intend to go in and murder that person, but my the death of that teller occurred while I was committing a felony. That's the felony murder rule. Do you agree? You know, it's not that simple. Um, you, you have to show a conscious disregard uh, that the police officer is exercising for the safety of the individual that was killed, uh, Mr. Floyd. So uh, intent is, is a little deeper than what he's saying. I think you have to show that he consciously understood that he was going to hurt or kill that uh, Mr. Floyd at that time. So it's not that simple as the defense wants you to believe it is. Uh, the prosecution reminded jurors today that George Floyd is not on trial. And in fact, that officer Derek Chauvin is. Listen. Now, also need to be clear, this is not the trial of George Floyd. George Floyd is not on trial here. You've heard some things about George Floyd, uh, that he struggled with drug addiction, that uh, he was being investigated for allegedly passing a fake $20 bill, that there was never any evidence introduced that he knew was fake in the first place. Right? But, but he is not on trial. He didn't get a trial when he was alive. 
and he's not on trial here. Do you think that argument is effective? I really, I don't believe that it is that effective. I think you should say at that point, he's not on trial. However, what's on trial is the conduct of uh, the defendant in this case and whether he exercised too much force against Mr. Floyd. That's what's on trial. And whether he intended it or, you know, consciously disregarded his safety. But, you know, I think the jury understands Mr. Floyd's not on trial. I mean, he might have a colored past, but you can say he has a colored past, but don't, that's not the issue in the case. And if someone were to say he's got a colored past and think about that when you make your decision, I would say if they point that out in any argument, they're trying to distract you from the real case here at hand. I've had that same situation in a case in uh, Wyoming where they tried to disparage my client. And uh, I said, look, they tried to disparage him. Whatever he had in the past didn't have anything to do with what happened in the event that we were in trial for in Cheyenne. So that's the way I would have handled it. According to polling, one of the most compelling parts of the defense's argument is where uh, the defense went into the protocol that has been put in place for police officers where they um, they have, it, you know, it is listed, it is charted out um, what you are supposed to do when, a, a, um, you know, someone you are trying to, you know, um, to, to get under control begins to act out and the situation begins to escalate. And in that chart, it is listed that, you know, c controlling them by, you know, bringing them down to the street and putting pressure on their neck, I guess, that is one of the things that is on this chart. And it's actually in several different charts, at least in the particular state um, where all of this took place. Um, do you think that showing those different charts and graphs, uh, graphs to the jury was effective? I think it, it could have been, but I think the real issue with the use of force and putting the knee on the neck is whether that was reasonable force and for the duration of time in which it was exercised. And we don't know what was going through the mind of the defendant, if he was worried about a riot there, if he was con cognizant of how much time was on there. But we do know that the that the uh, victim was, was crying out for not having air. And I recall a comment that the police officer made that seemed a little bit snarky. He says, well, you know, you got enough air that you can speak. So something like that. I forget the context, but I, I think the chart's probably helpful. But I believe, you know, most people know that using these chokeholds can be dangerous and they're to be utilized when there's a situation where you can cause the, the defendant or the victim in this case could cause other harm to the officers or the general public. And they had you know, in their minds that he was a really big guy. He might have been on drugs and who knows what he's capable of. Could, perhaps he could grab one of their guns or whatever. So that's my view. All right. Thank you so much, James France. Coming up, what state is making toddlers wear masks and what state is paying people to move to their state? That's next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stay with us. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. It's time for some news you didn't know. 
how to bring you something you didn't know from our RAV World Headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Great to see you, Jessica. Great to see you, like always, Dr. Gina. But I wanted to tell you about this next story that I've been researching. It's a disturbing social media trend going around that April 24th, this coming Saturday, is National Rape Day. The trend started with just six men on social and it's now gone viral. These vile men posted videos inviting others to come together to create a day sort of like The Purge. But this one is geared towards sexual assault and rape against women. Since the information has gone viral, there are debates of whether it's real or a sick joke, but at this point, officials are saying it shouldn't be taken lightly, considering the state of society and how popular social media challenges have gained momentum and how many of them have played out. So officials are suggesting different ways to keep yourself and others safe on April 24th, this coming Saturday. First off, if you plan to go out, they say make sure you are with someone else or in a large group. Be aware of your surroundings, of course. Do not drink any drink that you have not watched poured, poured yourself, or that you have walked away from. Get screenshots of any social media you plan to report, and make sure to report any videos or hashtags that promote the day immediately to the platform management and to local police. Dr. Gina, I've also seen many men, other men, veterans and police officers, post videos basically saying if you're a woman and you're out on Saturday and you feel unsafe or really anytime you feel unsafe but especially Saturday find the nearest man the nearest guy and act as if you know him and they are trying to make aware for men to know that this may be happening they want them to be aware that this may take place on Saturday so if they are in that situation that they know the situation and that somebody's not just coming on to them but rather possibly needs their help good gosh Jessica I think I've heard everything that is definitely news I didn't know thank you all right, over in Michigan, the benevolent leaders there are totally destroying businesses and any quality of life left in that state. Democrat leadership has now instituted mask mandates for everyone aged two and older. Let's talk to someone who knows all about living in a lockdown blue state, our favorite New York City radio talk show host, Kevin McCullough. Kevin, great to see you. Kevin, uh, I want to see you get your two-year-old in a mask, right? Well, if I had a two-year-old, they would not be in a mask. I would be defying the uh, ordinance. Uh, gratefully, my six, eight, and 10-year-olds have survived this year. But my goodness, we know so much about this virus now. And the idea that they have to be in a mask at two years of age defies science, defies logic, and defies constitutional freedom. We need to be uh, not giving any credence to this. And in fact, I would encourage everyone in Michigan to demask their two-year-old this, this week um, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Kevin, over in West Virginia, a new program called Ascend West Virginia pays $12,000 to pay people who work remotely from their home to move to their home in West Virginia. Great idea to get people to move there, don't you think? You know what I love about America, at least in the red states where there's freedom still found, there are all kinds of ingenious, entrepreneurial uh, incentives that are still thought of. And this is a genius plan. West Virginia wants to continually bring in better talent, better uh, citizens, people that are concerned for the welfare of the state. What better people to bring than conservatives and Republicans and people that can work from home and do so in a way that's respectful to their neighbors and so forth. This is, a, this is a, an, an ingenious plan. I'd like to see Florida and Texas and South Carolina and South Dakota all adopt it. This would be something that would really um, 
it, it would it would kick the blue states where it counts because at the end of the day they only have so many people to tax and if they could uh, feel the pain of what it means to not have free market principles in their states that wouldn't be a bad thing <laughs> all right kevin thank you so much take care of yourself and your family over in that blue state thanks for joining me tonight and thank you for joining me tonight, everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, live from Studio 6, be up next with Damon and the crew. Don't forget to hug your children, demask them if they're toddlers, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth.